If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hey there, welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. My name is Anna. I am thrilled you are here today. Today is part two of the episode that I recorded last week, which was all about deconstructing my spiritual practice. And last week I talked about deconstructing my prayer life and how much of a crazy journey that has been. And this week I'm talking all about the Bible and how I went from a Bible reading, everyday scripture memorizing girl to someone who hasn't picked it up in almost a year. And I I dive through that whole journey with you guys about what this has looked like from the beginning of deconstruction to now post-deconstruction, my relationship with the Bible. So I'm looking forward to digging into this topic with you guys. I have to give a shout out to Robert Arnau. This episode is brought to you by him. He's a Patreon supporter. He supports this show monthly and we couldn't do the work that we do without him. So Robert, thank you for showing up. Thank you for being you. Love you to pieces. If you're interested in learning more about how to support this work, I encourage you to go to my website, annadimmel.com, click on the button Patreon, and you'll learn all about how to support the show there. There are small ways to support and there's large ways to support. Any and all are needed and appreciated so very much. So thank you to all of you Patreons already. You guys just make this work doable. Thank you so much. I am loving connecting with you guys through social media and especially on the platform of Instagram. I started this new series all about abuse and I post about um, lessons learned from being someone who walked through abuse and who has overcome the trauma that comes with that. And it's a mini little series I'm doing on Instagram, but hey, check it out. If it's something that sounds like would encourage you and would help you heal, feel free. Come find me, Anna Dimmel, on Instagram. All right, without any further ado, let's get into this episode. Here we go. many of you guys. But for me, back when I was growing up in that whole space of church and Christianity, evangelicalism, all the things, reading the Bible was like really a big deal. Like if you were reading your Bible every day, you had become a super Christian. And so the achiever in me was like, yes, I'm going to do this. And so I remember I was probably around middle school-ish age, and I started reading in Romans. 
And any of you guys who have read the Bible for a while, you're like, really? You started in Romans? <laughs> kind of a lot of, you know, Paul happenings in Romans. But yes, that was where I started. And for whatever reason, that book captivated me. And that was where I started my journey. And from that point on, I can't think of a day that I, I mean, I'm sure I miss days here and there, but for the most part, all the way through my adolescence, teenage years, adulthood, I was reading that book every day, not the book of Romans, but the book being the Bible. And so I can't think of a part of the Bible I haven't read. I um, memorized a lot. Um, it's it's funny how even still some verses will come to mind and I can just rattle them off real quick. My kids are like, whoa, how do you know that? I'm like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> this was my world. Um, and so it's interesting when you throw in this whole deconstruction thing and you start unraveling this ball of yarn called your faith. And, you know, last week I talked about prayer and how much I had to wade my way through that. And the same was true with the Bible. I I had daily practice of sitting down. This is what it used to look like. I would sit down every day, ideally in the morning because the real Christians got up in the morning and did this in the beginning. But for me, I'm more of a night owl. So I tended to do my Bible study at night. So at night, I would read and I would journal. And I, and I talked about journaling last week. Y'all, I filled up books upon books upon books of journals. And a lot of them were prayer led, but a lot of them were what I was reading and what I felt like God was showing me through scripture. And so my entire basis of making decisions, of treating other people, of what I believed about myself, what I believed about the world, my community, my purpose, my calling, all of that stemmed from the Bible and what I felt spirit was showing me in those texts. Now, I will say there were specific times that I heard God's voice clear as a bell, and those were monumental moments for me. And I felt connected and I felt like, oh, I'm getting a download of information. And then there were other times that were really hard and struggling and what I would have used the term back then as dry. Like I felt far away from God and I felt like, why is it so dry when I'm used to being so fresh and full and new? And I kind of just figured out that that was the rhythm of the thing. And so, you know, I would plug in through the ways that I connected. It was in worship service. It was in my quiet time. It was in my moments alone journaling and reading the scriptures. And that was where I felt God speaking to me and connecting with me. And that was where I felt seen and heard. And like, it was a full-blown therapy session. And I took that love and developed it into a study. And that study led me to write a book and it led me to become a pastor and led me to be a leader. And so, you know, this really did form the trajectory of what was my life. And so when I started really wrestling with the Bible, and when I say that, I mean allowing myself permission to ask really hard questions, questions that I had thought, but I was like, yeah, I'm not really going to dig into that. Once I started the digging, it's like a rabbit hole that doesn't stop. And so I dug and I dug and I dug. And 
Then I got real curious and I pulled in context and I pulled in history and I pulled in other philosophers and I pulled in all of this information to build around these stories that I had cherished for so long in the Bible. And as I did that, the storyline began to change. The storyline went from me believing that every word I was reading was coming from the actual mouthpiece of God himself, this huge being of light and love and redemption and justice and all of these things I loved about God. I believed every scripture in that book was, as I would have said then, God-breathed. I, I, I wouldn't have looked any further than that. It would have been like, nope, God said it. End of story. And when you dig and you find out that, well, people wrote the Bible and Paul was a very moving man and very, what I would say, um, connected to spirit and and God and the divine and Jesus, and all the things that that we love about the Christian faith. I would say Paul was really involved and heavily influenced. And, um, and when I say influenced, I mean influenced by the spirit. And I, and I think that's a beautiful thing. But was he God? No, of course he wasn't God. We don't worship Paul. We don't like have holidays celebrating the death of his life. Like Paul was incredible, but he wasn't God. And so, you know, I started then looking at his words a little bit differently and looking at them as an amazing person who is living in a specific time, in a specific region, in a specific place with specific social dynamics and religious dynamics and power plays involved. And I got really curious about certain things that he taught. Why was he teaching this? What was this letter about? What was the context of the people group that he was communicating with? You know, I I had never had permission to dig like that before. And when you start digging, you start finding a lot of answers that no one told you about. And so, and I've talked about this before on the podcast. I think last year I did a whole episode about my relationship with the Bible. But, you know, now as I'm moving through into this space of post-deconstruction and I'm trying to rebuild my faith and rebuild this big part of my life, And so on the other side, I'm talking about this with a little bit um, of a different perspective now because that last podcast last year was like at the beginning of all of this. And so I've been kind of quiet about my relationship with the Bible since, and I will explain why. When you start detangling um, something as complex as your faith, your belief system, your lens that you see culture and the world through. It is not a quick and easy process. I, you know, I liken it to, okay, I have four girls, so there's a lot of hairbrushing in our house. There's a lot of, you know, tears when I'm pulling out tangles and brushing after showers and baths and such. And so when you're working out a tangle, it's like, usually matted and usually really like hidden. Okay. So like any of you that have girls or you are a girl or you've dated a girl or whatever, like if you've seen a girl try to brush out really long, thick hair, you know, this happens. It's like right at the base of the neck and the back, there's like this matted thing. That's always where it gets like the heaviest, thickest knots. And so 
to get it out, like you have to, it doesn't just come out with one quick swoop of the brush. Like you have to go through it section by section and piece by piece and you spray the detangler and you like pull the the hair gently and you like have to massage the thing until it's loose and you can brush through. That's so much like what this part of my journey has been like. It's like underneath all the fluff, like, and when I say fluff, I mean like my church community, my church experience, my um, worship, you know, prayer, I don't consider fluff, but it was in that outside package. You peel through all of that and underneath is the, the root of it all. Underneath was this foundation that I built all the other stuff on. It was the Bible. That was what I built it on. Some people, when they build their faith, it's built on, on like a traditional thing. Like, like I have a really good friend who is a devout Catholic and she absorbed that from her mom. And so her faith was built upon the faith of her mom and they have a beautiful spiritual practice. They are very devout. They are very wonderful people. But if you ask her what the foundation of her faith is, it's the experiences she has shared and gleaned from her mom. So family is sometimes the foundation for people. Sometimes it is their church community that that is what they build all of their belief system on. They just, okay, the group thinks this way. I'm going to think this way. I'm in. Um, for me, I, I was neither of those. I am very much an, a thinker and an individualist and um, someone who quietly observes for a long time before I make a decision. And so for me... It wasn't because my parents had this strong faith that I absorbed it, although that was part of it. It wasn't that all of my friends thought this way, and so I'm going to think this way, although that was part of it. For me, the foundation, the glue that held everything together was believing that this book was the completely, perfectly packaged, literal mouthpiece of God. I wholeheartedly believed that. And I had a relationship with spirit based upon that belief. I would worship based upon that belief. I would partake in a community based upon that belief. That was my belief. And so when I started detangling this thing, that was the knot underneath everything. And that knot of the Bible that was so tangled up with oh my gosh, wait, that's not true? Oh, this isn't really what that story is about? Or, oh, God didn't really say that? Just a guy said that? Wait, this book was edited out of the Bible? Wait, this word wasn't even put into the Bible until like a couple hundred years ago? What is going on? Like my whole world got flipped. It's like it's like when you're at the eye doctor and they have those lenses, right? When they're checking your eyesight and which lens works best, it's like they flipped it and it all went blurry. And it's like before I could see, and then the lights went out and everything was fuzzy and I didn't know my way around that book or my faith. When that happened, I was mad, like really mad. I was furious at the whole thing. I was mad at people for what I felt selling me something that was false. I was furious with my family for, in my mind at the time, being in on this conspiracy, although that was not at all their heart. It felt that way. 
I was angry at God. And even in my mind at the time, that logically did not make sense because, you know, it's not God's fault that people shoved all of this stuff on him. It's not God's fault that people went around saying that words were his that actually weren't. It's it's not God's fault that the Bible itself became resurrected into an idol. Like, that is not God's fault. I know that logically in my head, but in my heart, I felt so betrayed. I felt like, wait a second, I have been talking to you, God. I've been praying. I've been journaling. You know every detail of my life. You have become intertwined in my thoughts. You have become intertwined in my decisions. You have been with me when I have been journaling and reading this thing and memorizing this thing and practically worshiping this thing, and you never said anything? Like, I felt like of all the relationships that I had that had been solid, it had been God. And he himself didn't open my eyes to this. What's ironic about that is that God actually is the one (laughs) that opened my eyes to that. I'll get to that in a minute. But at the time, I felt like God was at fault for not showing me this stuff sooner. And I felt like so much pain in my life and pain in other people's lives, the damage that had been done because of the use of that book God could have prevented. And I was furious. And so it's like when you believe that the Bible and God are synonymous, that they are like one entity, separating them is is so painful and difficult and confusing and blurry and messy. And like that analogy, going back to untangling a big old hair knot, it's like, the thing wouldn't come unglued. It was just the two in my mind and in my experiences were gelled. And so for me to work my way through that, I had to cut myself off. It, It was like a drug. It was like there was this high that I used to get when I would connect with scripture or I would connect in worship or I would connect in prayer. And it was this euphoric type endorphin thumping thing where it was my escape. And I talked about that last week. Like it was my way of ignoring the tragedy of my marriage. It was my way of ignoring the problems with some relationships. It was my way of ignoring my own trauma, my own pain. I would just, you know, I I wasn't a heroin addict, but I would sit down and totally space out with God and ignore everything. It became my fix. And when I started this deconstruction process and I pulled my head out of the sand and looked at the reality of my life and was like, whoa. Hey guys, I want to take a quick break to talk about what this season is doing to all of us. It is that time of year, colds, flus, coughing, yuck. I am always looking for natural ways to heal our bodies. And this year we changed some things up in our house with essential oils. And let me tell you, it has made a world of difference. For colds, I've rubbed Thieves Oil Blend on my kiddos' feet every night and Digize on their tummies when they've had stomach aches. And within minutes of putting the Digize oil on my kids, their ache went away. It's seriously becoming my go-to oil for all things stomach-related. I love this oil. 
and I have thieves diffusing in my house and on everyone's bodies, and its antimicrobial effects are helping our house stay bug-free tremendously. So listen, don't put chemicals in your body and in your house if you don't have to. Do yourself a favor. Grab some thieves and digize by going to my website, annadimmel.com, and clicking on the link shop at the top of the page. Again, that's annadimmel.com and clicking on the link shop at the top of the page. Now let's get back to the show. Things have got to change. And this is where I would now say that God is the one that pulled me away from that toxic mentality was that it was in my times with God that he was like, do you not see what's happening around you? Like, do you not see how this book is damaging people really badly? Do you not see that your marriage is falling apart and you are in complete denial about it? Do you not see who wrote that passage you've memorized and committed yourself to? Like, spirit was active in my beginning stages of deconstruction, like active. And I was serving as a pastor at the time. And I remember days spent in my office, literally like deer in headlights at the revelations I felt I was getting from God about this thing called the Bible that I was supposed to be teaching from. And I was like, um, what do I do with this? (laughs) And God held my hand. God specifically, spirit, whatever label you want to put on it, literally pulled me out of the sand, like pulled my head out and showed me reality. And that was the beginning of the complete unraveling of this whole thing. And when I started realizing that fix that I kept being drawn to was actually just an escape from the realness of what was happening in my life and the realness of others and the plights of others and the reality of the situations I was in, I had to unplug. I I had to. It was like I had to detox because it wasn't healthy. You know, I believe that your spirituality is sacred and it is just as important as your physical health. It is just as important as your mental health. It is just as important as the health of anything else important in your life, such as your your relationships and your family. Like the the spiritual part of you is massive to your overall overall well-being. I believe that you have to nurture that part of you, take care of that part of you, feed that part of you, just like you do your physical well-being. And this is starting to sound like a sermon you've probably heard at some point in your life, where this is why you're supposed to read your Bible every day. You've got to feed your soul, feed your spirit. Okay, there are a lot of ways to feed your spiritual health. There are many ways to connect with God, and they don't have to be through the Bible. They don't have to be through a church service. They don't have to be through worship. They don't even have to be through Christian community. You can find God in the middle of Timbuktu, nowhere, alone, in a desert. You can find God there. And I promise you, the revelations you'll have unplugged from all the stuff might just be more powerful than whatever you had going on before. 
That's the beauty of spirit. That is the power of spirit is that it cannot be boxed. It cannot be regulated. It cannot be signed, sealed, delivered the way that people want to manage it. Spirit is not manageable. That is what wilderness wanderers like myself love about it. And it is what institution powerhouses hate about it. Because when spirit gets involved, you can't control what it does. You can't even begin to map out which way it's going to go because spirit is its own thing. And so I believe spirit can connect with you through scripture, if that's your vessel. I believe spirit I believe spirit can connect with you through a church service if that's the way that you're connecting. I believe spirit can connect to you through gardening. I believe spirit can connect to you through something your child says. I believe spirit can connect with you in the middle of nowhere doing absolutely nothing because spirit is everywhere. I believed for such a long time that, and it's kind of ironic because the two don't match, but this is what I believed. I believed that God was all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. But I didn't believe that God was anywhere other than specific churches, specific types of worship music, and in the Bible. And so it's like, well, how can God be all-present if he's really only present in your kind of church, in your kind of worship, in your kind of Bible? Like, it doesn't doesn't even make sense. (laughs) It's like totally discrediting the first statement. So I now still believe that God is ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful. I believe that. I so much believe that, that I believe that I don't have to read my Bible every day to hear spirit. I believe that I don't have to go to a church service to connect with God. I believe that My backyard can be my church service while I'm digging up weeds. I believe that dinner with my family can be worship. I believe that my church, my community, my people can be as diverse as the universe itself. I believe that God is present everywhere. My previous beliefs that I had to detangle from we're so bound by doctrine and so bound by theology and so bound by this idea of the fix, the high. It's like um, if you were ever involved in any Pentecostal evangelical type movements, the burning bush moment, the, the high of the mountain high. In fact, I would go to camps and retreats and they would all talk about that. Get your burning bush moment. Get your Moses moment. Have your moment on the mountain with God. and um, Boy, when we went for it, like we went all whole hog for it. And I was one of the best at that. I mean, I I know spirit. I know how to find spirit. I know how to go all in. And I had tons of burning bush moments. But the problem is that a burning bush moment is not sustainable. It's a high. It's a fix. It's a moment that's disconnected from here on earth. And, you know, you look at the model of Jesus and Jesus was not walking around having burning bush moments every five minutes. Like he was walking the streets with people. 
having brilliant speeches of wisdom or sermons, depending on how you want to like label it, but, and just speaking these things that was so moving and powerful. But at the same time, he was just like on a boat. He was just at a guy's house. Like Jesus was so not chasing the burning bush moment. If he was, I think we would have seen him alone a lot more. I think we would have seen him on his knees like he was in the garden, sweating blood all the time. But he didn't. He didn't. So the pressure to have this high, this fix, it's like a it's like a sugar high. It, it doesn't last. And then when you crash, you crash hard. And that's why so many people will go forward at their church every single week asking for forgiveness and asking for for reassurance that they still have their place in heaven because they are so scared that they've lost it because they don't have the high. And so you get in this this vicious cycle of chasing the high. And I know people, I should say I knew people that would would follow conferences like like a drug. Like I'm not kidding. Like they would spend all of their money driving all across the country to go see where the anointing was, to go find the pastor who had the fire, to go find the pastor that was moving in the miracles. And this was their life was chasing that high. And they would get so mad if they didn't get their fix. Like they would be furious that they drove across the country to go to this conference where the fire of God was supposed to be moving and miracles happening and they believed that this was going to be their big euphoric moment with God and nothing happened. And they just were like, did God abandon me? Did God, is God mad at me? Have I, do I have sin in my life? Do I need to repent? Is it, is there something I need to be delivered from? Do I need deliverance? I mean, this is crazy making, absolutely crazy making. And I never got into the conference chasing. It felt a little cult-like for me. I enjoyed conferences at times when they would be in town, but the whole chasing after people that were supposedly carrying this huge anointing of God irritated me because I was like, it's just a guy. What is the deal? Why are you freaking out about this person? So I never bought into that, but I watched it and I bought into the fact that I believed that I could have the same experience at home every day and I was mad when I didn't. So it's the same kind of thing. It just looked different. So I had to break free from that cycle because that cycle is not sustainable and that cycle is not healthy. And I could not look to the Bible like a drug. I could not look to my worship service like a drug. I couldn't do that because there's no balance there. You're filling your life with really high highs and really low lows and a high and a crash and a high and a crash. And I was exhausted. Not only was everything I was believing for in those highs not happening, not only was the the belief and faith that I was putting onto these passages in scripture, you know, like name it and claim it kind of stuff. Like if I say this verse and if I pray this over my home and over my family, then we will have protection and we will have peace and we will have unity and you know I would I would literally stay up all night at times pacing my house praying 
because I was heartbroken, because I was a mom watching her dream of a family fall apart. And you know, you get desperate when you are watching something that you have poured yourself into start to crumble and crack. And like I said earlier, I was not a heroin addict. I didn't go to alcohol. I didn't go to drugs. I went to my drug of choice, which was obsessing and praying and really by all intent, this is when I became a leader. I mean, by all Christian culture standards was becoming a pillar of leadership and holiness and godliness by what I was doing. And I would get my moment of peace. I would get my moment of release, what I felt release, whether I was crying or whether I was feeling God's comfort, which was very present. Um, It's not like God ever abandoned me in those moments. I, I don't think God ever turns his way away from anybody who is seeking divine help. You know, I, God is a very generous being. But I do specifically remember one time I had been fasting and I had been, and this is probably the heaviest I'd ever prayed as far as like hours on end. <clears throat> and I remember, because I can sense presence, like, You know, if I go into, and this is why I was quickly labeled as having a prophetic gift. You know, if I were to go into an old abandoned house, for instance, I could very quickly sense certain presences there. You know, like I could be like, ooh, I think there was this happening in this house, or I think there was this happening in this house. And people were always like, oh, she has the gift of prophecy. It's like, well, I just know how to tune in to that world, whatever whatever superpower you want to label that as. It's something that I can do. And so I know when I sense God's presence, I've always been able to sense that. And I remember in that moment when I was like literally giving everything. I mean, I was hungry. I was fasting. I was memorizing. I had like (laughs) printed like five pages of scriptures that I was believing God for. And I was memorizing them and praying them and crying and pleading my case before the throne of heaven, as I would have said it then. And you know what's so funny is that every other time that I would pray or journal or, you know, connect with God, I felt tender love coming back at me. In that moment, I did not feel tender love. I felt like like annoyance. Like I didn't feel warmth coming from the presence of God that I know. I, I felt God being like, my God, are you done yet? And those were not the words that I heard. It's not like I can tell you I heard that clearly as like I can hear my own voice now. But I felt God respond to me in such a way where I was like, huh, why am I doing this? Like, it's almost as if God was looking at me like, honey, honey, go eat a sandwich. Like, stop it. Get off the floor. Stop it. Wipe your face. Eat a sandwich. Go turn on Netflix. This is too much. Like, this is too much. Chill out. Why are you doing this to yourself? You know, and I'm reminded of the, um, as I'm saying this out loud, I'm reminded of that story 
in the Old Testament where the prophets of Baal, they would like beat their bodies and and do like self-torture kind of things to impress their God, to impress Baal. And they believed that that would get them the response that they wanted from Baal, whether it be, you know, blessings or prosperity or fertility or whatever they were praying for. Um, every time I've looked back on that time in my life, I'm reminded of that, of how similar in nature that was. And yet, and this is this is the crazy part, is that, and yet, during that time frame, everyone around me was like, wow, you're so inspiring. It's amazing that you can seek God like that. And I want to be like you. And, you know, I look back on that. And I'm like, oh, God, forgive me for any misleading that I did of showing people that that's what we have to do to get God's attention. It's it's sick. It is a sickness. And it's so far, so far from any model that Jesus ever displayed. And it's so far from any real experience that I have with God now. Um, I'm, I haven't read my Bible in, I mean, maybe six or eight months, maybe, um, maybe close to a year. I haven't been counting, but it's been a while and and it's been intentional. You know, I, I realized there for a while, every time I tried to pick it up, I was just pissed off. And I was like, nope, nope, we're not ready yet. I am not finding God in this book. I'm finding anger in this book. And so I am not touching this. So I, I unplugged. And it's been the most healing, beautiful journey for me to learn how to connect with spirit without the crash and burn of the highs and the lows. Um, to be at peace with the balance, to be, and I'm going to say this word, to have faith that even in the stillness, even in the moments when there are no highs and there are no burning bushes and there is no big, crazy, explosive prayer session happening, that God still is crazy about me, that God still will bless me that God still will show up. God will still provide. God will still be gracious and kind and warm and safe. Do you know how freeing that is? How freeing it is to realize that you don't have to do anything but be yourself to be loved. Imagine that, right? Like that's what we all want in a relationship with a person. That's what we all want in our communities and in our families. We want to just not have to be anything other than who we are and let that be enough. And it's like, where do you think that desire comes from? That desire, I think, is innately packed inside of each and every one of us because we all mirror God. I believe that's how we're supposed to present spiritually as an infant, as a child. And there's even passages in scripture that talk about that, where Jesus himself said, come like a child. And yet we've, we've lost that in mainstream church culture. And oh, to get back to being able to be that where 
you know, a child, they don't do anything and we adore them, right? Like my babies, when they were born, I mean, they weren't doing anything to impress me. In fact, they were crying and needing me all the time. And I thought they were the most amazing thing in the world. (laughs) I couldn't get enough of them. Couldn't stop taking their pictures and, oh, loved me some babies. And I still feel that way with them. And it's like, imagine being able to rest in knowing that God and all of the universe and the divine beings in heaven and on earth, all of it is cheering for you. All of it has already got your back. All of it is like, hey, we got you. We see you. We love you. You've got it going on. Keep going. Like, that's amazing. And it is so much better than a high that I had to like bawl my eyes out and kick and scream and memorize verses and sing worship songs for two hours to get to. This is healthy. This is peaceful. There is peace here because it offers rest. You know, I'm reminded of that passage um, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and tired and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, it's funny. I'm talking about how I haven't read my Bible in almost a year, and I'm quoting scripture in this episode more than I think I have in any episode in the last few months. And those words have so much more meaning to me now. Although opening the book and turning the pages of scripture is a bit... um, kind of like a PTSD moment for me, a bit traumatizing because of how that book has been used by other people to correct me, to hurt me, to silence me, Um, and even how much exhaustive work I did through those pages. It's it's a bit trauma-inducing. And yet I can quote that passage that Jesus said with tears behind my eyes right now, because I think I finally get it. Rest looks like rest. Before resting to me looked like the reward that you got after you did all the right things. And now it's like you just get to rest because you're you, because you're loved, because you're seen, because you're enough, because the work's already been done. There's nothing left to do but be. And so the spiritual practice for me of scripture and the Bible and church and all the things that I was so married to before has shifted. I still have a very rich and deep spiritual practice, but it doesn't look like the show anymore. It doesn't look like the lights and the noise and the busyness and the work. It really just looks like me sitting and meditating and that being enough. Who would have known? Who would have known? And I hear God's voice Some days I don't other days and it's okay. And I don't have to chase. I don't have to run. I don't have to clang cymbals, make a lot of a noise to get God's attention. God's attention is there. 
I'm just as loved and accepted and embraced out here as I was back inside the church walls. Um, Rest is a beautiful thing. And your spiritual self is a beautiful thing and spiritual care is a beautiful thing. And, and I think that that's why so much of me still feels like I'm pastoring because I, I love nurturing and breathing life into the spiritual parts of people. It's, it's something that I have practiced for so long now, it feels like part of me. But this now is so much healthier for me. And that doesn't mean that it has to be that way for everybody. I, this again, this is the beauty of God that wherever you want to be found, God's going to show up. I, I just, I, I have found myself in enough rabbit holes to be able to say that and walked with enough people in their own, <laughs> in their own muddy journeys to say that, yeah, you know what? God is ever present and ever good. And Wherever you are, however you find a way to engage your spirit, God will delight in it with you and meet you in that practice with you. There's no pressure. There's no strings attached. There's no shoulds and coulds and should nots. It's just like breathing. It's just that easy. And I think it's supposed to be. Yeah. So this concludes part two of this whole deconstructing my spiritual practice thing. And please know that wherever you are on your journey, you're right where you're supposed to be. There's no pressure to move faster or no pressure to slow down. You are right where you are supposed to be. And you are loved there. And rest in knowing that you don't have to perform. You don't have to do God is there. You don't get extra bonus points for memorizing scripture. I hate to break it to you. You just don't because God doesn't really work on a merit system I'm learning, which is a bit disappointing for an achiever like myself. But, you know, there's a lot of freedom in letting go of that merit system. And so nobody's keeping score. You're free to be you. You are free to be you, to live your life, to live your days in peace and know that God has your back. It's a gift of freedom, and I hope that this breathes some life into you. I hope that you found this encouraging. Go in peace. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.